What a powerful thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, and it's all, all the more empowered by his death, as Brother Gary was telling us about this morning. To think of the death and resurrection of Christ, we're going to be looking at that a little bit this morning uh, as we consider what's involved in overcoming fear. If you're visiting with us today, we want to welcome you. Uh, we want to welcome all who've come to worship our God. It's a wonderful thing to come into his presence. It's a privilege for us to be here. And we are thankful for this opportunity to show our love for the God who loved us so much that he sent his son to live and to die and to be raised again for us. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If I ask you that, what are your biggest fears? I tried to find an image for the slide of somebody looking afraid, and that's what Pixabay gave me as I searched for an image. And to me, that just looks like somebody who's really afraid, and that's what that is supposed to indicate. I've been told a couple of times after we put this on, on uh, social media on Facebook yesterday, a couple of people said, it's actually a scary image. They're afraid of the image. So uh, uh, that's not what I was intending. If that's, if that's scary to you, I'm sorry. I didn't intend that. It's to uh, depict somebody who is afraid, and uh, I think in the image, uh, obviously very afraid of something. But what are you afraid of? The word phobia uh, is the Greek word for fear. We have a lot of things that are called phobias even today by medical professionals. And a phobia is just um, a fear that can cause a panic that's often completely out of proportion to the actual threat. But extreme cases of a phobia can, can result in, in panic attacks and somebody being virtually paralyzed, unable to do anything functionally almost. If you start looking at how many kinds of fears people have, there are at least 322 named phobias. And uh, among those, if you start in the A's, you have acrophobia, that's the fear of heights. You've got aerophobia, that's the fear of flying. You've got agoraphobia, that's the fear of crowds and social interaction. The number one fear uh, of all of the fears uh, that there are or that have been cataloged, the number one fear most common among many people is arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. I know some people who are just deathly afraid of spiders. It's a common fear. A couple of other fears that interest me, ecclesiophobia is the fear of church. I think some people are afraid of coming to church, and so they, they don't come. I remember one time we had a, a fella who uh, came into the building. This was when I was, I think it was at New Georgia at the time, and he, he had came in and was visiting. He'd been invited to a gospel meeting and came in, and he started looking around like this, and I, I introduced myself, and he looked really afraid, and I said, what are you afraid of? He says, well, I'm afraid the building might fall in on me because I haven't been here in so long. But uh, he, he maybe have had that ecclesiophobia. And then there's uh, homilophobia, which is the fear of sermons. I think there might be people, people that are afraid of sermons. We'll try to overcome our fears with this particular sermon today. Fear, whether it's rational or not, can certainly cause problems in our lives. And my main concern this morning is that it hinders our ability to function for God as his servants. 
It hinders our ability to serve God when we have certain kinds of fears that he could help us with and will help us with. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Our fears can be of two kinds. They can be spiritual or carnal. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I think this is one of those not-but constructions that you have in grammar, where Jesus is not necessarily saying, don't be afraid of somebody killing you. You know, that's something that is naturally fearful to anybody. And you should be concerned if your life is threatened. We see in Scripture many faithful people had concern that their life was being threatened. But in comparison to that, the greater fear is a spiritual one. That somebody can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. That somebody is God Almighty. And we should fear that much more than any physical fear, much more than any carnal fear that we might ever experience, including all the way up to our very lives being threatened. Jesus wants us to understand the difference between a carnal fear, even the worst of carnal fears, our lives being threatened, as opposed to a spiritual concern. Being afraid for the condition of souls, of our own souls and of the souls of others, that is truly a legitimate concern. Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians and as he writes to the Galatians, indicates this. You notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, after trying to correct just a number of problems among the Corinthian church, spiritual problems of some depth, he says to them, I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul was concerned that their minds were not right in the sight of God. That their minds had been corrupted from the simple truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that they were concerned about things that they ought not be concerned about not concerned about the things that they needed to be concerned about. Paul said he feared for their spiritual well-being. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20, he says, I fear lest when I come I shall find you such as not find you such as I wish, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, that there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. And Paul is concerned that when he comes to visit them, he's not going to find them as they ought to be, that there are going to be spiritual problems, all sorts of spiritual problems there, and that because of that, they're not going to find him as they'd like to find him either, because he's going to be upset. He's going to be really upset and have to discipline them because of their sins. All of those are spiritual concerns, legitimate spiritual concerns that the Apostle Paul had. In Galatians, in chapter 4, Paul writes the book of Galatians to the Galatian churches. He's really concerned that they are being led away from the truth by these Judaizing teachers that are insisting on circumcising Gentiles before they become Christians. And he says in the context of talking all about that, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 11, I am afraid for you. Notice I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. As Paul had presented to them the grace of Jesus Christ, 
and their faith had been based and, and, and focused in that grace, they were now being carried away by this carnal and false concern of circumcision. Spiritual concerns, spiritual fears can be legitimate. They are certainly the deeper ones, the more serious ones. But carnal fears of this life, the fears that are this worldly, are, are, I'm afraid, the ones that occupy us the most, deter us the most from being what we ought to be and doing what we ought to do. So what are your fears? Fear for the condition of our health and well-being. That's a carnal fear. Fear for the condition of our loved ones, health and well-being. That's a carnal fear. Fear of the possibility of some fatal calamity. Maybe some destructive storm. Some financial loss, maybe. Job loss. Getting stuck in an elevator. Terminal medical diagnosis. All of those are real fears. They're all carnal. Maybe you have the fear of an upcoming painful or stressful event. Maybe you've got a surgery coming up. Some of us do. Maybe a dentist visit. Some of us do. Sorry, Caleb. Uh, Maybe a performance review at work. Maybe a visit from your in-laws. Maybe a loss of a loved one. Or death itself. All fears. All carnal fears. Maybe your fear is the fear of failing. The number one fear in a poll in 2021, the number one fear of people in Alabama when asked what their big fear was, was the fear of failing. I I don't want to be too coy here, but I'm just thinking that there must be a lot of people in Alabama living their fears because, because there's failure all around us and we all fail all the time. Maybe you're just afraid of what people might think of you. You afraid of that? You afraid of what people might think of you? You're afraid of being embarrassed. You're afraid of having your shortcomings exposed, your insecurities exposed. Those are all carnal fears. We could go on and on and on. I may not have touched what your fears are. There are lots and lots of fears that people have. Lots and lots of fears that incapacitate people spiritually. And that's our concern today. And it could be a carnal fear that incapacitates you spiritually. Specific fears vary greatly from person to person. Some things that others are afraid of, I've never even thought about being afraid of that, and I'm not going to be afraid of it. Other things that I am afraid of, people think are nuts, you know. Why would anybody be afraid of that? So we're all different, but the commonality is that these fears can hinder us spiritually and can really put us in what we might call prison of fear, where we're not able to not only do what God wants us to do, but to enjoy His blessings and to function in joy 
as children of His. The chain of fear restricts our freedom to do and think that which is good. And I might say that the fears that enslave us in this way, in this prison, are often almost invariably worse, not worse, than the thing we're fearing. Being in the prison is worse than the thing we're fearing. There was a man, his name is Shoya uh, Yokowa, Yokowai, Yokowai. I, took, I tried to pr- uh, learn to pronounce that all week, I still can't. Yokowai is his last name. It's such a difficult name for me because it's Japanese. Uh, and I want to tell you about Mr. Yokowai. Um, Mr. Yokowai was uh, a soldier in the Japanese army. At the end of the war, the government of Japan had a problem when they surrendered, a problem in getting news to their soldiers that were scattered out in the Pacific Islands that they were supposed to surrender. And a lot of those soldiers initially, probably many of you know this, uh, didn't think that they were supposed to surrender, even if they were, after they were told that. They were told, you know, in their basic training, as they were training as soldiers, you fight to the death, you never surrender. So they couldn't, they couldn't fathom that now our emperor is telling us to surrender. And many of them held out for some time. Uh, Mr. Yokowai was on the island of Guam when the Japanese surrendered. He heard the news that supposedly they'd lost the war and he was supposed to surrender, but he believed that he would be tortured by the Americans, so he refused to surrender. And he went into hiding and he hid in some caves in the jungles of Guam for years and years and years, for 28 years. He refused to surrender because of the fear that he had of what might happen to him if he did. And so his life was basically a life of living in a cave, coming out only at night to look for roaches and rats and frogs and mangoes to eat. That was his diet for 28 years. When he could have been home having sushi, That was how he lived. You see what fear can do to us? Puts us in this prison. We can't enjoy life. We don't have a life. We're limited. He's not ser- if, his, if his emperor, what, he's not serving his emperor. He's not serving the nation of Japan. He's serving nothing and nobody. Completely imprisoned by his fears. You see... Fear keeps us from being profitable to our master, to our king, to our emperor. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the familiar parable of the talents. You might remember that the man who received the one talent was responsible for doing something with that, and he didn't do anything with it. He who received the one talent came in Matthew 25 and verse 24 And said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. 
God, I know you gave me this responsibility. I know you gave me my abilities to take care of this responsibility for your glory and for your cause. And you gave me this. And I did absolutely nothing because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. Well, what were you afraid of? Well, I was afraid of what people might think. I was afraid of public speaking. I was afraid of just all those carnal fears. You name one. I was afraid I'd lose a friendship. I was afraid it might hurt my health. I was afraid. And so I did nothing with that responsibility that you gave me. His Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered. You see how the Lord sees that, right? Fear is no excuse. It's not an excuse at all. The Lord doesn't even acknowledge that as a somewhat palatable reason for not doing what the servant was supposed to do. And so it's no wonder, as you you look at the life of Christ, his interaction with others, Jesus often sought to alleviate fear when he gives disciples work to do. Because he knows that fear has this ability to prevent them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Look at a few examples of this. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, Peter was astonished at this catch of fish uh, that Jesus had miraculously caused to occur. And also were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with him. But Jesus said to Simon in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, Do not be afraid. <clears throat> Do not be afraid. From now on, you catch men. Peter was afraid. He was afraid of this amazing power. He was afraid of what Jesus might call him to do, but he was really afraid that he wasn't going to measure up. You remember, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That's what he's really afraid of. He's really afraid of what people might think. He's really afraid of failing. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go catch men. Don't be afraid. Go catch men. And you see a similar thing in Acts chapter 18. Paul is in the city of Corinth, a a godless city in many ways, for sure. And there were those who were standing against the preaching of the gospel. Yet the Lord spoke to Paul by night in a vision, Acts 18 and verse 9, and said, do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. Again, Paul could have allowed his fears to overwhelm him so that I'm just not going to say anything because I'm I'm afraid of what might happen. These people could beat me. They could stone me. They could throw me in prison. We find that Paul is not going to be afraid of those things. Jesus tells him here, don't be afraid, but speak. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. I have many people in this city. On another occasion... Earlier on in Matthew chapter 28, at the resurrection of Christ, the women, of course, had gone to the tomb early that first day of the week. An angel is there at the tomb 
they see the stone rolled away. They see the angel there. They see the guards, uh, you know, catatonic like dead men. And the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples. Notice this angel is the same mode of operation that Jesus has. Don't be afraid. Go do something. You could stand here paralyzed with fear, afraid of me, afraid of the condition of these soldiers, wondering what happened with the tomb. Get all of those fears out of your head. Jesus is risen. Go and tell. And so they go. And the text says, as they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, putting their fear aside nonetheless, they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went, doing what Jesus to, uh, the angel told them to do, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. You know, it's hard to rejoice when you're afraid, but you can. They came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Again, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. These are just some examples, I think, that are worth noting. That when Jesus is asking people to do something, he understands that the fear has to be taken out of the way or dealt with in order for them to accomplish that thing. And, and that's the same way it is with us. We're going to have to do something with that fear. We're going to have to overcome it to be the kind of servants that Jesus wants us to be. What if, what if we could live fearlessly? Not that we never feel afraid, but that we face the fear and overcome it and get past it and don't let it paralyze us or obstruct us. One of the great things that, to me, quells the greatest fear is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the very passage that Gary shared with us this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, the resurrection is not directly mentioned, but it's implied in what's being said here. Hebrews chapter 2, again in verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death for all their lifetime subject to bondage. Yes, the, the death of Christ brings to us the remission of our sins. And the resurrection empowers it. And so we know that Jesus conquers death. Satan doesn't have control of it. Jesus has control of it. He has control of life after death. That's what's demonstrated in this text. Throughout the resurrection story, as we saw in Matthew 25, over and over again, Jesus will say, or an angel will say, if you study, it happens several times, do not be afraid. And the news of the resurrection is, we need not be afraid. How did Satan hold men in bondage? By the fear of death. Perhaps the greatest fear of all, Jesus removes it. Satan can't do anything to you. 
The fear of death is gone. With the fear of death gone, an eternity to look forward to and to hope for, we're no longer in bondage. He cannot do to mankind what he once did. We know there's life after this life. We know that Jesus has the keys of death and of Hades. And he can set us free. We know that. A lot of our fears, health fears, fears of, you know, being attacked, of being assaulted, of a lot of our fears really get back to concern for our lives, our physical lives. And, and yes, there's some reason to be, you know, cautious about things. God wants you to live a life that's productive and he wants you to protect the life that he's given you. We understand that. That's, that's legitimate. But the main thing is, Jesus has conquered death. So there's no reason for anybody to control us or for us to be put in some kind of a prison of self because of our fear of death. We sing a song sometimes, and I should have asked Jonathan to lead it this morning, In Christ Alone. Uh, I remember he's the one that taught it to me at ABS many years ago. But in Christ alone, there's no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. I love that line. This is the power of Christ in me. We can live fearlessly by trusting in God who overcomes the fear. We can trust that he cares about us because he does. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 asked the question, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. There are over 360 verses in the Bible in which God or a messenger of God basically says, do not fear, or fear not, or do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because God cares about you. God knows about you. The sparrows can't even fall to the ground without, without God knowing about it. And you're of much more value than the sparrows. The hairs of your head are numbered. For some of us, that's not as much of a problem as for others. But nonetheless, God knows how many you have or don't have. Don't fear. You're of more value. Trust in the presence of God. Like a little child, as a loving father holds the child's hand in a fearsome time, There's another song that we sing sometimes, haven't sung it much recently, Like a Little Child. There's a verse in that song that goes like this, When the fearful darkness overwhelms me, when in pain I move, forlorn, exiled, seeking me with words and arms of comfort, thou hast held me like a little child. God holds us. That's the way it's put in Isaiah 41 and verse 3. I, the Lord your God, will hold you by your right hand 
for you are with me. No, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. I will hold you by your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. You get the picture, don't you? The child walking through the dark forest, being scared of a barking dog, experiencing some other rational or irrational fear. Maybe somebody here this morning that's having to hold your child's hand because this picture up on the screen is scary. I don't know. But you're, you're there holding their hand. God says, I'm with you like that. Holding your hand. I'm present. In the Bible, over and over again, God gives us that assurance. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Because God is there to care for you. And Jesus, as I think he is depicted in prophecy in a way in the 23rd Psalm, our good shepherd, the psalmist who is the sheep, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And so the presence of God is with us wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whoever we are, if we're his child. And we can, trust, we can trust in him no matter how great the trouble, no matter how deep the hole. God is greater than the sum of our fears, no matter how awful the thing is that you're afraid of. Maybe it's not that it's going to happen, but it is happening. This, this thing that has just taken over your existence and your mind. It doesn't matter, though, how big it is, how awful it is. God is there with you, and he is greater than the sum of all of it. In the Psalms, in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, notice this, we will not fear, God's with us, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. Even though the earth be removed. I mean, global warming is nothing, right? Nuclear attack is nothing. He's talking about the earth being removed. Even though the earth, it doesn't matter how awful the thing is. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea... Though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with its swelling, we will not fear, because he's a very present help in time of trouble. In Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 55, trust God, pray to God. The text says, I call on your name, O Lord. From the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your face from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, do not fear. See, if you're going through it with God, whatever it is, if you're facing it with God, whatever it is, What is there to fear?
God's with you. And so as simplistic as all of this may sound, and please, I want you to understand this. I doubt very seriously if there's a Christian in this room who hasn't heard, who doesn't know that you overcome fear by trusting God. And yet, we don't overcome our fears. Why not? We don't trust God. It's very, very simple. There's no secret sauce here. I mean, if you're expecting some big, you know, wow, revelation of here's some new way I can get rid of all my fears and and deal with them and all that. It's the simplest thing, the most basic thing in a relationship with God Almighty is to trust Him. Is to trust Him. And when you say, God, I do trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with all that I have. Whatever you allow to happen to me, whatever you want to happen to me, is fine because I trust you. Whatever the tragedy may may befall, whatever spider may bite me, whatever it is, I trust you. You're with me. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As I said, no secret sauce. No special formula. Just trust God. It doesn't mean it's easy doesn't mean bad things will never happen. In fact, bad things will certainly happen. The earth is one of these days going to be removed. The mountains are going to be tossed into the sea. And all things will come to an end. It's not a maybe. It's going to happen. But with God is with us. We're okay. We're better than okay. We're loved. We're cared for. And it will be well with our souls. If this morning you will give your life to God in such a trusting relationship, you can overcome those fears and live a life pleasing to God and a life that brings you joy. Would you give him your life this morning? Please come while we stand and while we sing.